Okay, hi, I'm April. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm very glad to be here today, and I, I hope you are too. I have been in Overeaters Anonymous for a long, long time, and my story is one of not giving up, not letting go, not I'm never stopping going to meetings. Um, so, uh, so I came into Overeaters Anonymous in December of 1975, um, and I uh, I count my absence of starting February 11th, 1981. So that's 42 years this year, but you can see that it took six years of feeling like a failure, feeling like I had to be perfect, feeling like I just was a failure. I think I just said that um, until I kind of stumbled on someone who was willing to guide me in a way I was teachable. So just to get back um, uh, I, I think I'm going to skim over my childhood. Let's look at my, my two photos. Uh, there's one that shows me, um, I guess both, are they up yet? Not yet. Um, there you go. Okay, so that was um, at my highest weight, I was about 190 pounds. And these days I weigh in about between 120 and 123, something like that. Um, and then the next one is there, the other one. Yeah, so you can share the other one. It's it's just that it was at my sister's wedding. Um, is that up yet? Not yet. It doesn't matter. In 1978, and I, um, yeah, I'll just say that's all. Okay, you can take it away now. <laughs> you know, you get the idea. So um, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I grew up in a family that I had a lot of love, a, a very solid household. Um, my mom was a concert pianist. My father was a farmer in Northern California. Her career depended upon her being in Los Angeles. They had a, an interesting marriage in which he absolutely respected that, which meant he had to drive 500 miles back and forth um, every month for, for all of their marriage. But we also went to the farm a lot during school breaks. And um, uh, I think what I learned from that part of my life was that Things don't need to be resolved because they'll just go away and you don't ever have to talk about it. Right? So my mom would say that um, uh, at first when he would leave, it was just very hard and it was, it was like painful for her. And pretty soon there was a scab and pretty soon she wasn't feeling it. So it was unfortunate in a way um, that they couldn't, they couldn't mentor uh, my sister and me and how, how people do disagree and how maybe you can resolve that. On the other hand, it was a marriage in, in the 40s. And I don't think many people in those days really had, we didn't have the skills or the, the cultural support for as honest understanding as I think we, we have now. Okay, so um, because mom's career depended upon her being also very attractive, um, she, and she, she knew what it felt like when she began to uh, gain weight. There was a short year in her life when she began to gain weight and the attention would fade away from her. She could feel uh, the attention falling away and she wanted to protect us from that. So she didn't let us have bread at meals. And when my sister and I were hungry at night, um, we go, mom, we're hungry. You know that feeling? She'd come in with celery and a glass of water. <laughs> like, um, and when 
people had a weight problem, she would point it out. And um, she just was trying to protect us from the pain that she experienced during that year. Um, okay, so my father was this really lovely, quiet, introspective, poetic, spiritual man. And um, I didn't get enough of him. He died um, when I turned 22. He died suddenly of a heart attack. And so I was very lucky because I had just gone and come, come into Overeaters Anonymous. And I didn't really know much, but I, I just felt like I needed community. And all those meetings helped me. And I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I got a lot of support. Um, so I'm going to skip forward to uh, my layers of abstinence that I've had. When I find what, what would happen, so my metaphor of what didn't work is if you have a woman cooking at a stove. That was five little, minutes. Thank you. And a little kid is pulling at her apron, trying to get attention. For me, that's the food. And what I've learned in not being a perfectionist and being a recovering perfectionist is I can't pay attention to the food I need to keep going in my spiritual life. I can't let that distract me and make me start over, start over, start over. So for me, the most important thing in my program is honesty. I tell you, I remember the first time when I had, I was with my first, um, what I call her my Hitler sponsor. She kept me honest, right? I had to go to you know a meeting a day. And this was in you know, 1981 when there was like, there weren't a lot of meetings to go to. I had to go to, um, um, I had to call her exactly at six in the morning. If I called at 601, she would not answer the phone. I had to get, I had to get three phone numbers at every meeting and it didn't count. If I got it from the book, I had to go up to the people and get those meetings, those phone numbers. And I had to wait and measure my food and I had to call it into her. And I remember once, um, so one of my favorite, um, uh, experiences, well, I don't know if it's my favorite experience, but it was certainly a learning experience. I was working in downtown LA and I had committed that I would have two eggs uh, at my dinner, but something happened and I ended up not going to the meeting I was supposed to go to. I forget what it was, not going to the business meeting I was going to be going to, not going to that dinner meeting. So instead I called her from a phone booth in downtown Los Angeles and said, I'm going to have some cheese instead. And all she said was, what did you commit? I mean, that was the protein part of my meal. There was more than that. And I said, well, I committed two eggs, but I'm in the middle of downtown crappy old LA and it was dark and I'm in a phone booth and I'm hungry. And she said, she was a waitress. And she said, look around, is there a little cafe near you? And I said, yeah, down the block, but it's really dark. And there are like drunks between me and the block. She said, I want you to go to that cafe and ask to buy two hard boiled eggs. I, I guarantee you they'll, they'll sell them to you. In my high heels, without my briefcase, I walked into that cafe. They were happy to sell them to me for 25 cents each. And it wasn't so much that I'm supposed to learn to be so hard on myself. It was I had to learn what does honesty mean? What does a commitment mean? That's what I had to learn. And uh, okay, so um, there's so much to share, isn't there? Um, so during my, my uh, evolution of my abstinence, it started with this very hard-ass, 
this is what I eat every day. I don't, you know, I don't, I try not to um, leave it or move from it, but I certainly am honest about it. And it had to change when I got pregnant. Um, I had to eat differently and that was very, very scary. And it felt like I was jumping off a cliff. But what it really was, was jumping off a cliff and learning that I had wings all the time. I always had wings. And as long as I ask people for help, which I'm very bad at, as long as I'm honest. So, so I had to be honest to my sponsor. I had to write about it. And I also had to um, talk, tell people at a meeting what I did. And that's what I still do today. If I feel so, so here's what I do today. I'm skipping around. I know. Every day I uh, do my best to meditate. I try my best to sit quietly and either listen to a guided meditation or sit in silence. It's not always possible or I don't always do it. And that's helpful to me to know that I don't have to be perfect to be in this world and to be of service. That's, that's a big message that, that I've learned. And for me, what I'm describing to you right now about my food plan, about my, my, my morning ritual, all that stuff, I call that my fingerprint. And I think my job as a sponsor is not to tell you what to do, but to allow you to find your own fingerprint, whether it's do you eat bread? I have people I sponsor who eat sweets. I have people I sponsor who drink alcohol. I don't do either of those things. It's sometimes hard for me to read their food, but it's what they need to do. And if it's not what they need to do, they'll learn that along the way. Um, So in the morning, I try to meditate. Um, I I often jump on a a meeting in the morning while I'm um, feeding our animals and having my breakfast. Zoom has been a blessing and a curse, right? Um, But there, I still have two, um, I have one on-site meeting that I go to on Mondays that I love that unfortunately the on-site meetings aren't growing that much, but there is a certain amount of intimacy and I can hug people and you can look across the room and nod, right? Five more minutes. Thank you very much. Okay. I do remember, oh, there's so much. Um, I'm jumping around, but when I met my husband, I told him that I was an Overeaters Anonymous. And when we got married, I said, um, so I, I called my sponsor and I said, I'm going nuts because there's, there's food in the house that I can't eat. And she said, if you're an alcoholic and you asked your husband not to have alcohol in the house, what do you think, you know, do you think you would do that? And then I said, well, I would have to. And she said, that's right. This is what you have to do. You have to go to him. And he was God to me. He was, you know, for the longest time in our marriage, he was God. So it was very hard to go to him and say, I don't think I can have your food in our house. And he laughed and he kept cookies and chips and all that stuff in the trunk of his car for a year. He just thought it was hilarious. He was very loving, very you know, willing to accommodate. And then it grew to um, those kind of things were only in a pantry that he opened. I didn't really open it. And then we would, then eventually it was like we, on the shared cell, he would have one shelf on the pantry and I would have another. And I, you know, his food was cardboard to me. And now I could, it's just not my food. Um, so sometimes when I'm not sure what to do, I say a short prayer, which is, hi, God, help me. Thank you. Use me. And sometimes the, the short form is, 
hi God. Sometimes that's all I can do to sort of breathe and be here now. Um, I, okay, so for people who might be struggling with abstinence, I remember going to a therapist and I told her I was having nightmares so strong that I felt they were real and it was going on for days. And she knew that I was an overreach anonymous and she said, so here's what's happening. You are trying to, you're, there's two of you. One of you wants to abstain and one of you doesn't. And so there's a, a war going on. And these, these, these were such powerfully strong dreams that they, I carried them through the day, right? So I, like a nuclear war, I was killed in one and one I, that was burned up in a fire. And it was just those dreams that were terrifying. She said, and it doesn't matter inside to your dream life, which one you choose. You can choose to abstain or you can choose not to. But whichever one you choose, the dreams will go away. And so on, you know, I was having them. And the fourth day, I just thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what my sponsor asks me to do. Um, And then my fingerprint turned into something different. So after several years, I've eaten differently through pregnancy and through sickness and through everything. But I'll tell you, I've never once stopped. Um, I guess probably I've been emailing my 10 step to a sponsor for probably 20 days, uh, 20 years, although I don't think we had email then. I think I, I don't remember what I did. So what I do is I send her a 10 step, which is basically my journal of my day. So I can look at it and see what I've done. And I, I, I look at if there's anything I've done that I wish I hadn't, or if there's anything I can do to make amends. Then I write what, what um, someone in this room has taught me, which is I write five things I'm grateful for. And I write, one victory for the day. What is my victory? Which is hard some days. What victory on this day? There's always something that I feel like I did right. Even if it's just, I was present or I did my best to be present or I picked up a phone or I ate comfortably. And so what my food plan is now, and I send her everything I eat every single day and I have become a calorie counter. And that was because years ago, my sister and I got into a horrible fight to the extent that I really never wanted to talk to her again. I'd never felt that about any member of my family. So I, I thought about it. I heard some guy in AA saying he needed to keep his head busy. He needed to keep it busy with something that had nothing to do with anything. So I thought, well, if I count calories, which drive me crazy and I don't really even believe in, that will keep my head busy. busy. And what it's turned out to be for me, just like the scale has turned out to be, is just an honest measure of what's happened that day. So for example, my goal is under 1700 calories. But if I eat 35,000 calories, I still write that down. I still send that to my sponsor. And when I send the email, I have forgiven myself and I keep going. And I don't consider it a sin. I am a human being. So um, I have so many notes I want to share with you. You know what? I'm going to share three more minutes, okay? Because Um, I've been experiencing a lot of pain in my foot for the last two years. I've had a bad infection. I don't know why. And I've been a a hiker and um, my feet are kind of important in my life. So what I came to the other day was really quite astonishing. It was one of the miracles of this program. It felt like uh, my higher power was really, really helping me. I finally, I was in bed the other night. I was in a lot of pain. I was tired of the pain. I was tired of going to doctors. 
So I, I realized that one, I am not my pain. Two, and this is one of my favorite quotes, I am the place that I am right now, God circled on a map for me. The place I am right now, God circled on a map for me. Three, that researchers and scientists and authors and really anyone that I would consider someone who tries hard in this world, they keep knocking on doors, keep asking experts, keep trying different solutions for years and years. So I can do that too. It's not like it has to end and I have to be in pain. I can just be a researcher, like a scientist. Let's see. Okay. And so now when my one doctor recommended another specialist, instead of complaining to myself, oh my God, another doctor, I'm going, oh, maybe this person has the response that I need, that I have not caused this pain. It's not my fault. It's not because of a personal failing, that I have not done anything wrong in the ways I've been trying to find a solution, that this is today. I am not in tomorrow. I am here now. That my higher power is bigger than my pain and bigger than my fear. And that I can surrender. And when I do, my body relaxes. I breathe better. I'm at peace. And sometimes the pain lessens. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first few questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Frank, I see your hand. Thank you. Wow. April, thank you for a really, really great share. And a little comment before this morning, I, I'm involved with several people. They're all in the, most of them in this room today where we have a kind of a OA study um, kind of session before this meeting. And our topic today was serenity. And you just exhibited uh, one of the most powerful examples of uh, I'm just so touched and blown away by your serenity and equanimity in, in the midst of the storm that happened this morning. And your share was just so powerful and just was a great example of that. And then initially I had this question about, you know, how do you get to that place when you're in the midst of all this chaos or where you're having these challenges and you kind of explained it <laughs> for us when you discussed your physical pain and your challenges with your foot. Tell us the process you do when other, you know, maybe emotional sort of challenges come in in your life that you go through to get to that place of serenity so that you can then move forward. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, I'll have to say that the first thing I do is I think about um, what can I put in my mouth? to be very honest. And so I drink tea and I drink um, decaffeinated cola, so, which what's the point of that, right? But um, I, I, so I do still use substances to calm me. And um, I think I'm no longer embarrassed about that. I think that's just who I am. And it doesn't mean I'm good or bad or anything. It's just what I do. So I drink a lot <laughs> when I'm um, uncomfortable or frightened. Um, but I have learned to reach out and I do have, you know, sometimes I call my therapist, my sponsor, she's been with me for 30 years and she's one of the smartest and most honest people I know. So I, I will, and we don't often talk, you know, maybe every three months now, but um, I will definitely read out, reach out to her. I will do my best. So here's what calms me. My higher power is nature. 
and that's why hiking was so important to me and what, what my foot right now has taken away from me, which is tough. But um, my, my dog is 13 and a half years old. And so he's gimpy. So I call us two gimpies. And there are flat, very short hiking trails in my area just to go outside, just to breathe the air, just to calm down and movement and sunshine and people. And so, you know, I, I, keep, I keep looking at this list of like, okay, I need people, I need sunshine, I need to get out of the house because I tend to isolate when I'm, I'm uncomfortable or frightened. Um, and for me, what that means sometimes is not just finding my people or my friends, but I went to a community meeting put on by our local police department and I saw some people that I knew in the community and I came home all hyped up, right? Because I have been very, very isolated in the pandemic because I have an autoimmune disease and also I'm an isolating kind of person. So I kind of had to make a personal list of what calms me. I, I do write, I, I am a writer, you know, that's my profession. So I, the, the writing my 10 step every day to my sponsor is very helpful to me. I can go, I can go, Oh God, really April. You know, when I look at what my thoughts were about something and how important I thought it was and it's on paper or on imaginary paper on my, <laughs> my email. That I think those are the things that help me. I also meditate. That really helps. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, um, Deb. Yep. Hi. Thank you so much. Thanks for just um, showing recovery. So I appreciate that. Can you talk about your path to abstinence? I know you said that it took six years um, and, you know, what was that? final aha or um like I said just the steps for you to get to well it's you know it that's really that's a really interesting question so you know it was the process of me eating and then not eating and eating and not eating and eating and not eating for those these years so like I would pick up the food and then slam myself bad girl bad girl and then I would start again and I would go to um, what used to be called um, the Saturday maintainers meeting in West Los Angeles. And everybody there looked perfect to me. And when they got up, the only ones who could share were people who had a certain amount of abstinence. So I thought they were perfect too. And one day I learned that one of them had like more than, than she thought she should have or whatever. And she said, told it to the group. And she kept going. That was an important part. I remember I was at the time my husband and I ran together in the mornings. And I remember I was leaping like a gazelle. Like, they're, they're not perfect. This is so cool. These are not perfect. Because that's what all my life, and I think maybe our American culture, expects of us. And for me, the pandemic has been very useful in learning about my perfectionism and non-perfectionism. So what I did is I was at a meeting. And a woman came up to me who said, would you like me to sponsor you? And I knew she was a Nazi sponsor. And I swear I said, yes, but I guess what came, I said, no, but I guess what came out of my mouth was yes. <laughs> um, and then I thought, I can't do it because she was asking so much of me. And so I said, she said, so I need you to go to media day, et cetera. And I said, well, I can do everything you've said so far, but I have Laker tickets on Thursday. And she said, well, can you go to a meeting tomorrow? And I said, yes. And by that Thursday, I had given away those tickets. So I don't necessarily have to know 
Um, but the evolution, so it has been really, really major. So I, that was when I sort of, she made me honest. I guess that's what it was. I had to be accountable and do what I said I was going to do, which because I was such a sweet, friendly person in life, I think I slid through things more. You know, I think I got away with things. So maybe that would help. 